Greetings to all the listeners. My name is Adnan Shafi and I'm going to be your host today. Today we're going to be talking a lot about trade, history, race, imperialism, war, but most of all, the military medical museum that is being planned to be built here in Cardiff City, Bucktown. Before I begin, let me introduce you to Cardiff, a cosmopolitan big small city that has a rich history rooted deeply overseas. For some, the ancestors arrived on the shores of Cardiff over 100 years ago, all the way from Somalia as traders. While for some, they migrated to Cardiff after Idi Amin expelled them from Uganda in the early 70s on account of souring race relations in the country. And some have their ancestry tracing all around the world. Given this diversity, the government is faced with a unique question. How do you imbue a cosmopolitan city with cosmopolitan values? Another more relevant question perhaps for this podcast is what happens when these values clash. So we take you to Tiger Bay, specifically Britannia Park, a major battleground for competing values centering around topics such as imperialism, mental health, green space, race and governance. This park is set to become the foundation of the military medical museum and it has caused a major stir in the community with many stating that the park holds significant value and should not be built upon. This participant chose to remain anonymous for this interview. Thank you. My, my impressions of Britannia Park and the green space that it has to offer is one that is really important um, to the community. And it's one of the only green spaces left uh, in the area. And as such, we need to do whatever we can uh, to keep that space uh, available for the community. Next, we interviewed Nirshan Sudarshan, a resident of Cardiff and someone who's heavily involved with the Bucktown community, as well as the objections to the building of the Military Medical Museum. If if anything, uh, it has a really nice playground and it's really important for children uh, and older people to come out and enjoy that space and, you know, in a really good location. Another one of our interviewees, Lynn Einan, has been to the park himself, has talked to others who live around the park, and has also been heavily involved in filing objections to the museum being established. There was so much land in the area that it seemed unjustifiable to want to build over the only uh, green space that there was there. From these responses, we can easily see that there's at least some concern among the surrounding community about the green space itself and what the museum could actually mean for them. However, proponents of the museum actually have a different story to tell about the land itself. So I do understand that the community does value that uh, site, but as I say, whether it's us there, an aquarium, a drive through McDonald's or whatever else, the council is intending to develop it. So according to Jason Simmons, a senior member of the Military Museum, the Cardiff Council was merely sugarcoating what already was a predetermined matter, and that the land was already going to be developed upon. Yet another twist in what appears to be a complicated story. Now, the original plan of that area, which I've seen, does include a visitor centre. Um, and obviously over what, about 20 years or so, you've had the tube on the site, which is now uh, covered with gravel. Um, and that site was in private ownership through that whole period by Associated British Ports. Uh, it was only until the end of 2019 that it became a, uh, under ownership of Cardiff Council itself. So the park has never been a designated park, um, although it's public open space as part of that agreement. And um, was it back in 2017 or 2018, Associated Associated British Ports submitted that plan for a 32-storey residential block. Uh, The council um, really felt that that didn't fit in with the plans that the council had for the leisure development in the Bay Area. Um, And so consequently agreed with Associated British Ports to buy that site. Um, so, I mean, I've seen it in the local press that um, the council bought it to save the park. That wasn't why it bought it, it did it so that to stop that 32 storied residential, but it's part of the agreement, the purchase agreement that Cardiff Council's cabinet signed off, that there would be an element of development on that site. So, obviously, they've then announced or, or said that we would be, or they've offered the site to us at a commercial rate after their plans for the development on Red Dragon Centre for the indoor arena meant that the scheme that we had originally planned on that site could no longer go ahead. Um, And basically, even if we did pull out of the Britannia Quay site, because of the fact they want it developed, somebody else or something else will be going on that site. 
So that's just a sort of bit of a background really as to, to why actually we are looking at Britannia Key. Although Jason Simmons does acknowledge the land could be of immense value to the surrounding community, he points towards the Cardiff Council as the main source of this tension, and the fact that this land was going to be built upon anyways. However, Gaynor Lagal, the former chair of the Butetown History and Arts Centre, and someone who's also heavily involved with the Butetown community, offers a different view. It is an area that is um, hardly ever used. Um, it's very scrappy looking at the moment. So it is not an area that figures in my thoughts or really in the thoughts of many people that I know. Uh, yeah, so I don't have any significant um, thoughts or reactions about Britannia Park. Surprisingly, we received contradictory responses from the other participants in regards to whether or not this park was actually valued by the surrounding community. Let's hear from Lynn Aynon. There are those who live um, fairly close to it, who use it quite, uh, quite regularly um, as, as a, a part of the space near the water. It's, it's sort of, it's, it's certainly um, considered important there. Of course, many, most, most of us who live in the, in the area um, live in flats without uh, any green space, without even balconies in most cases. So you know, access to any um, pleasant outdoor space is, is very welcome. From this, we can conclude that there's been some relative tension amongst some of the community members in regards to whether or not this park deserves to stay. What we have seen is a range of opinions, however, that reflect that this park is used by the community surrounding the park and is also valued by that community. We will now get into the question of the Military Medical Museum. Does it even deserve to be in Cardiff in the first place? Is it the right sort of museum to be placing in this specific community? Let's hear from the respondents. Uh, and I think the Military Medical Museum uh, generally has no place in our city. Uh, it also disappoints me that you know the link between the local community and the museum hasn't been and the militarization of their countries hasn't been explored. We have a lot of refugees and asylum seekers uh, who escaped, you know, war, war, anguish, you know, British intervention in their country, and so you know, see the medical museum now on their, on their doorstep, will I think cause some um, and some drama, some tension. There's obviously connotations around war and the military, especially with the massive diversity concerning Butown. And, you know, I don't think a military museum is the, is, is the first thing that they want. Rather, it's something, you know, that has negative connotations of, of their past and of their heritage. And I think one of the biggest problems with that is there is no real history told about Butown, Tiger Bay, uh, and the and the history of of their lives and their community. There's no space for that, but there's a space for this, so which nobody wants. So I think, look, if if there was going to be something, you don't even there is there even a consideration. I guess obviously you need someone to obviously come help support that and help build that, but that's the idea behind it. I don't think the idea of a military museum where it's been rejected in other cities don't forget well it's being accepted here it makes no sense to me especially if where if no one is really interested in it or no one really wants it and it's highly rejected by the community because it's not for them and it's not it's not going to be um it's taking away green space it's not helping support um the local community well i've, I've spoken to quite a lot of people uh, about this and and there's a lot of mixed um mixed views interestingly enough um a lot of the people who don't live in the area are opposed to it and they're opposed because it's a military museum but it's a military medicine museum um and one of my thoughts is that um Butte Town has long links with military medicine we have the Hammerdryad Park. Um, we're involved in the the, the war, the the, the war. Oh, what's it? Napoleon? The Apollo, I can never say that word. 
um, and the hammer dryad was used there. So in terms of the medical aspect, the, uh, you know, um, I think it, it is, 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 is quite good. Anything that glorifies war, death and destruction is bad. So um, the, the people who are involved in the development, they've done a lot of consultation with community groups and people who live in the area. Um, they've promised all sorts of things, including space. Uh, they want to um, give space to tell the history of the area. Um, so that sort of reaching out and consultation has won people over. My personal views about it is that I am not opposed to it. So already we have two respondents who have cited what they believe to be a major issue with the Military Medical Museum, which is the fact that there's a lot of people that have immigrated to the surrounding area that have come from places where there's been military intervention from the British Army or at least from their allies. What sort of effect does this have on people who will be living around the museum? And to what extent does this affect whether or not this space will even be accepted? For example, in the city of Bristol, there was recently a statue that was toppled because the community felt that it did not reflect their values. Is it therefore possible that we will start to see members of the community within Butte Town actually campaigning against this museum even after it has been established? And will that affect the amount of people that visit the museum? And again, this is something that we, we have to wait and see. However, the story becomes even more interesting when we look at the historical relationship between the museum and the Royal Army. Lynn Einon argues that it could be part of a larger scheme by the Royal Army to get younger people to enlist in the army. Again, this raises several questions about whether or not this is something that the community wants and whether or not it'll benefit the community, especially given the heritage that we've just discussed. I, I don't like the idea of a, of a, of a museum of military medicine, to, to, to be honest about it. I've obviously got, I've got no objection to a, um, a medical museum. I mean, that would, that would be fine. And, and, and if um, within that museum, there were some exhibits that related to the development of medicine within the military, well, you know, Okay, but this is this is not primarily a medical um, museum. Um, the 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 museum's history, and indeed, and until very recently, um, when it was set up as a uh, a charity about four years ago, it was part of the Mil Ministry of Defence, um, you know, and most of its funding has historically come from the um the royal army military corps and, and so on and a key part of its uh ethos is to promote the um the records of these bodies within the military and indeed as it says on the on the trust's own um statement of objectives to promote military recruitment so um, it's, it's hard to see this as primarily being a, uh, a medical um, museum. So, um, so no, I, I'm, uh, I would personally be opposed to it on, on, on those grounds as well. So what has become clear from this is that, generally speaking, there are some members of the community that feel that the presence of a military medical museum could cause some cultural tensions between the community and the council as well. So I decided to ask Jason Simmons, the museum representative, what his thoughts were about the British military intervention that happened in Iraq and Afghanistan and how this would play into the establishment of the museum. This is what he had to say. Um, in terms of the conflict um, in Afghanistan, um, sorry, and, and Iraq, I mean, that, that is of interest to me personally because uh, one of my aunts married an Iraqi back in the 60s. So I've got uh, cousins who are, who, are, who are Iraqis as well. Um, and certainly talking to them um, by extension to people that they know, I think the general sense is that, you know, the, the Iraqis are, are somewhat happy that uh, Saddam Hussein finally was deposed, you know, considering he gassed people in Halabja in the 1980s and various other peoples of his own uh, po um, population. I think it's also worth pointing out that it's politicians who start wars, not armies. And ultimately, it's politicians who have to end them as well when they 
uh, sort of have various treaties and so on. I mean, nobody likes war. I mean, even a soldier won't tell you that he likes war. Um, but, you know, I mean, yes, you can say that Tony Blair and George Bush were warmongers, and perhaps that's true. But as I say, from, from our perspective, we're not interested so much in, in the details of the conflict, um, so much as actually what are the medical innovations that came out of that, that for us. So talking about Afghanistan, for example, um, we've, uh, or rather the army, uh, in conjunction with the Royal Air Force, developed what is called MERT, which is the emergency response teams. And in the past, what they tended to do was when somebody was injured, they would go out, get them by helicopter and bring them back to a field hospital. Now what they do, or since Afghanistan, is they put a medical team actually on the helicopter and fly them out to the person <clears throat> who's injured so that they can be treated there and then and brought back so they have a much better chance of survival. And in fact, uh, the Welsh Air Ambulance has adopted exactly that same method because that then is something that they picked up from something that the army does and incorporated that into civilian practice. So Mr. Simmons insists that the museum's purpose is not to focus on weapons and not to focus on the war itself, but to rather focus on the medical advancements that came out of that. And he also further argues uh, from his personal experience through his family members that quite a few people from Iraqi backgrounds might actually appreciate the fact that the British military intervened in Iraq. Although Simmons is also right in saying that Saddam Hussein was involved in certain crimes against humanity, and that's why it was good that he was removed from power, there's also a group within the UK, or a large group of people in the UK, who are of the opinion that British intervention and US intervention as well brought significant harms to Iraq, and they cite specific events or specific sites such as the Abu Ghraib prison, where crimes against humanity were also perpetrated. So it's very important to also realize that within this discussion, there is multifaceted context in which uh, community viewpoints are being sourced from. I mean, I, I attended both of the big demonstrations in London back in 2002-2003 against the Iraq war. Um, and so, you know, I've, al I've always opposed it. And, and indeed, the war which has turned into a debacle in Afghanistan as well and before that. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's a particular a, a particular time for us to think, do we really want to celebrate these um, these events? In a way, it will inevitably do, even if you want to put a spin on the, uh, the medical side of it, they still end up um, being celebratory of what the British Army has been doing on, on conflicts, which I don't think we should have had any part in. By putting a museum there, I think it's promoting the British Empire. And I think uh, at the moment where so much bloodshed has happened as a result of British intervention around the world, particularly in countries where many of the people in the community are from, I think it sends the wrong message. Uh, I think it really deeply sends the wrong message. And so they really need to rethink the mechanism that they're, they're utilising. But despite this, despite the, the conflicts that we've already seen in modern history, I wanted to dig a bit deeper. The British military was obviously involved in expansionism in the late 19th century after the Berlin Conference. And this, of course, is a question that many of the respondents actually had for the museum. How do you separate between the British history of colonialism and the military history of colonialism and as well as the, the medical advancements? Is there any way to separate them? And are there any more ethical challenges that are presented by this? Let's hear what Jason Simmons has to say and what other respondents may have to say to this as well. So uh, on the website, there is history in regards to, for example, different regiments of the army and how they're related to medicine, etc. And one of them specifically commented on the Boer Wars, for example, in South Africa. And obviously, when you're reading through it, what you'll actually notice is that there's mention of, I believe it's a typhoid treatment, but there's also... Uh, some people might feel, you know, other parts of the history that's missed out, for example, the scorched earth policy, and also the fact that there were also concentration camps. So as someone who's a museum representative, um, how do you respond to this? And also, how do you uh, make sure that history is accurately and objectively presented in your museum? Um, there, there are several ways to answer that question. First of all, we've been looking at actually, you know, what are the stories that we would like to be able to tell? 
Um, and one of the things that we want to be able to offer um, is in, a, in effect a kind of space to debate issues exactly like this. Um, but the other aspect of this is, uh, is that, you know, we, we don't want to be saying, right, this is history. Actually, what we want is for different people to come in and say, well, actually, you know, there are different ways of looking at history as well. So we want to be able to present different voices in the museum galleries and in the displays so that people can get a sense, you know, that actually there are multiple ways of looking at history. There isn't any one way of looking at history. Um, the texts that you're referring to are, are quite old now anyway. Um, we took them from the previous version of that website, but certainly in our planning, uh, you know, we, we do intend that in, in effect, you know, there'll be a, a range of different voices talking about different aspects of history. Um, and also what we do want to do is, as I say, work with people, particularly from local communities as well, who may have actually um, themselves or at least have ancestry in some of these countries where the, the British military have been uh, to get their perspective. So one of them might be that, say, for example, talking about the Boxer Rebellion in India. Well, actually, you know, people from India will have a very different perspective on that than the British. So we want to be able to balance that out. So, as I say, what we won't be doing is offering, right, this is history. What we want is different voices, different perspectives. And just to confirm uh, from what I'm understanding, do you feel like it would be therefore valuable uh, in the next edition of that text to be printed to mention the entire context of that conflict, including perhaps the things that may not be as uh, palatable for the, for the average person in terms of, you know, people don't really want to hear about scorched earth policy, or they don't really want to hear about um, for example, concentration camps, even though, for example, they might be from that country. Uh, yes, I understand that, you know, th these are, um, you know, things that are very emotive and that people, um, you know, perhaps don't want to hear about. I think, as I say, the, re the real focus of this museum will be about medical uh, innovation. So if, for example, within these concentration camps, there was something that came out of it, I can't think of anything that did in particular, I mean, they were really holding camps, but nevertheless, if there was some reason or other why we'd want to include it, it would be fully contextualized and explained, you know, and have different perspectives on it. That's certainly something we want to do. While structuring this interview, and perhaps while doing some more reflection upon the answers that I've received, I came across a thought and that thought was, if this museum truly is about medical advancements, then why does it have to be in the context of the military? Why does it have to be a military medical museum and not just, for example, a medical museum? And this question obviously led me to make connections between whether or not, as we've already discussed, this military medical museum is simply a ploy to glorify the military, or maybe to glorify the colonial process. And this is what some participants in this interview agreed with. So just briefly here, once again, from Nirshan, his thoughts about whether or not the museum does glorify the British military during the colonial period or just the British Empire in general. And we'll hear from Jason Simmons about certain medical advancements <clears throat> that came as a direct result of trying to further the imperialistic process that was undertaken by British forces and the British government throughout the 18, late 1800s to the early 1900s. I think it does, um, in a way, and particularly the location that it's going in, um, that has obviously, there's a lack of foresight and consideration to, um, to what the community actually represents. So I think, yeah, it does glorify a, a bit. And obviously, there's, I think there's huge issues around that, I think. I think one of the biggest problems is, I think we, I think a, a lot of people recognize, you know, in the in, in the communities I'm talking about, actually, and the surrounding area, recognize the, the the atrocities and the things, what what empire actually means and what it's done, and I think there's a space to there's a space for them to glorify them, but not of of what, what of their stories and what how they've shaped the city. It's almost like a slap in the face, and I think you know, um, having something like that, um, um, definitely does, and I think. I think time will only tell if 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 that's the idea. I think we'll see once it's 
set up to serve its purpose, what kind of thing they have in there and what the purpose of that is. Well, anything that actively promotes the British Empire, in my view, is a negative thing. Um, I don't know that the, that the museum, the Military Medicine Museum, is doing that. All I know is the meetings, all I know is the consultation meetings I've been involved in. I, can't, I haven't even looked on the website. So, um, you know, uh, so I, I, I don't have a, I don't know that whether it does or not. Let's hear what Mr. Simmons had to say in regards to this specific question. So some people feel like they, there can't be a, a, a separation between these medical innovations and, for example, the reason why they, they actually were invented. So, for example, you have uh, the invention of something like quinine, which was developed, first of all, yeah, to tackle like, you know, malaria, to ensure that people were getting well from malaria. But the side effect of that was obviously promoting a colonial enterprise in central Africa, and obviously that resulted in deaths and tortures of several people. And also, if you want to talk about, for example, um, just med medicine in general and having medics over there, it's uh, some people would actually argue in one of the interviews that I also talked to, uh, talked about how if you do actually help someone on the field, they are going to fight a war for a certain reason. And there's a reason why they've been injured in the first place. So how, how does the museum plan to uh, either separate uh, these two or how do you deal with that? Um, duality of you have yes you have military medicine but you also have some people that might say it's controversial what it was actually invented for um yeah i mean you know the, there are there are advancements that have come out that have come out in less than desirable circumstances and again i think context again is is really one of the important things that we we must make sure we get right and that people are able then to debate that discuss that uh, and understand that, yes, you know, certain things, uh, you know, that we take for granted today actually have less than desirable past. But as I say, we're, we're not about focusing on conflicts. We're not about focusing on, on war, that the work of the medical services uh, is, is in effect sort of picking up after that part of it, but also about the humanitarian work that's done, which doesn't involve conflict at all. Um, so something like Ebola, for example, or, or even a lot of the tropical medicine, uh, you know, comes out of um, particular challenges that are posed uh, by the work, uh, you know, or particular diseases that uh, the work there that needs to be done to, to do that. So, I mean, th that ethical issue is certainly something we don't want to shy away from. So if people tell us that actually, no, we don't want to, to hear about this particular part of it, we'll take that on board. So from these interviews, we can see that there is a lot of discussion and it's a very thin line between what some may see as showcasing history or creating a space for conversation about British history. Some may actually see this as promoting and celebrating what many have believed to, to be a, a, a brutal colonial past. And one of the main questions that we did ask the participants in regards to this was whether or not this museum served the interests of the surrounding community and some participants thought it was totally irrelevant. And do you feel, I mean, in that case, do you feel that the museum represents the interests of the surrounding community? Well, no. Why would it? What museum does? Most participants tended to sway away from this view and instead started to look at <clears throat> whether or not this museum could be said to be an abstraction of that community. And not just an abstraction, but... A representation of that community's history. So there's a very interesting discussion that unfolded between the museum representatives um, and some of the other participants in the podcast. What we are very keen on is that this new museum will tell people's stories. Um, so this won't just be, you know, about the military. This will be very much about the people in it and about the people who have driven innovation. Um, and certainly within the local area, as I've intimated, um, you know, we do know that there are people who have been in the military or who have perhaps for whatever reason uh, been treated by the military as well. What I will say is that we've spoken um, to Race Council Cymru and also to the Muslim Council of Wales um, about uh, you know, how we can work together. And certainly with Race Council Cymru, we've agreed that um, they will have a space within our building anyway, including exhibition space. 
um, for them then to be able to obviously put on displays about the kinds of things that are of interest to them as well. So, you know, we are looking for partnerships um, within the community, within the NHS in Wales uh, and wider afield as well. So that's a discussion we would like to have far more of. And one of the things we're also currently looking at uh, certainly is diversifying our board to include people from the Bay community on our board to be able to help shape that pro proposition. The museum did fairly desperately try to seek out a connection with Cardiff and came across the fact that some um, injured soldiers had been brought into the port during the First World War or something, which was which was about it. There was that, you know, that was the limit of it. Because the truth is that, as far as I understand, at least three other cities turned it down um, when they uh, decided to move out of Aldershot Barracks, which is where they are um, today. Um, and then they, they came to Cardiff, and Welsh government just said, oh, yes, we have you. And then Cardiff Council said, oh, yes, we, we, we'll take it. But the point is that although a number of people have said, well, you know, this subject has got nothing to do with me. In fact, chances are, if you've had surgery or if you've been to a dentist, actually, you are benefiting from military medicine or uh, advances that have been made from it in that time. Um, it's also been said, I've noticed that we've got nothing to do with Cardiff. And again, that's not really quite true. Um, Cardiff had the Hamadryad Hospital in the 19th century, which was a military hospital. Uh, in the First World War, uh, places like the Cardiff Royal Infirmary were requisitioned as military hospitals. You've got Tutu Field Hospital currently in Cardiff as well. Um, and talking to members of the community in Cardiff Bay, um, facilitated by Race Council Cymru, uh, it's clear that there are people there as well, particularly from the Windrush community, um, who have either been in the army or have had interaction with the army or indeed have even been treated by people from the medical services. So in fact, there's a range of different reasons why uh, you know, we, we, we looked at Cardiff, but principally because, uh, you know, it has a good tourism footprint um, and it's got a lot of the sort of biomedical sciences as well um, in the universities, which, again, is something we're quite keen on. Um, a lot of people seem to be pointing at the current museum at Keogh Barracks and saying, well, that's what they're bringing to Cardiff. That's not really quite true. We're not looking to recreate what we've got at the moment, which is very much a kind of regimental setup. What we want to be able to do is focus very much more on this, this story of medical innovation and advancements in healthcare and how those have gone on to benefit people. Uh, most of the actual more sort of military side of things we'll be doing with the military in, in, in their own barracks, that kind of thing. So we want to be able to set up something that's just very much focused around STEM, science, technology, engineering. Uh, and these are the things and educational opportunities that people will be able to get involved with. Yeah, no, it doesn't. I, I think anybody would say, I think it, the last thing they'll want is medicine. To be honest, I don't think a lot of people even know what that is. So I think there's no way. Um, I think if you ask lots of people, especially when you tell them like how it came about and the challenges it has going forward, that is something they'll support. I think I think it just doesn't make any sense um, why it's being set up there and why especially taking away that space. So as you can see, there's a wide range of views over here, all emotive though, and all focusing on the question of can the community accept the space? And from what I'm gauging, especially from the the actions of the museum, is that they know and are aware of some resistance within the community, especially in regards to the placement of that museum in that specific area. And what they've tried to do is contact the Muslim Council of Wales and Race Council Cymru specifically, who will have a spot in the museum. So let's look at what the, the participants had to say about this specific fact. And whether, I mean, some did show some, some skepticism towards it, and some were more inclined to believe that this would be something beneficial. To be honest, I would be surprised if they had very much space. All right. Uh, and I, I think there'll probably be little more than a small display area. Um, so I, you know, it, it's, it's all going to be fairly, fairly marginal, is, is, is my opinion. Um, and uh, yeah, I, so, so, so I don't, I don't expect much of this, maybe, maybe some, uh, let's say some display material in the cafe area or something like that, but, but no more, but you need to, um, I, I, I'd be giving you this as guesses and second hand, so you, you need to speak to Gainer to get a, a sort of, an accurate picture of what they've been um, 
being told, but bearing in mind that they've been given promises before, like from the exchange hotel that weren't fulfilled. So, um, you know, how much there is on this, I, I don't know. During the consultation, they did say that they would look at providing a space for the Heritage and Cultural Exchange to operate from. So, um, I mean, the development of that museum is still in doubt. Um, so whether it, it, whether the museum actually is built, um, who knows? And whether when it's built, they will have had sufficient funds to give space to the organisations they've promised space to is another thing. So I, 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 I wait and see whether it actually happens. I would quite like to have a space there. So because I think, you know, the, 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 some of the points we talked about previously, you know, the Iraq war, um, the medals, the way that, 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 that people from black and minority ethnic communities are remembered and commemorated. We could tell the other side of the story. So I would quite like to have the opportunity to do that. It's been impressed on us that there have been a range of different developments over the past 20, 30 years in the Bay, and a lot of promises have been made to people. Um, we don't want to be, in effect, you know, the latest in a long line. So if we do start making promises, those are things that we want to be able to keep. And one of the reasons why we haven't as yet engaged a great deal with the local community is that in terms of our own fundraising, until we've actually got a site sorted, actually fundraising to be able to put up a building to be able to in, in, incorporate all of this um obviously hasn't we haven't been able to fundraise against anything in that kind of regard um and then COVID has come along which has also caused problems um but we we do intend um fairly soon to start doing more public meetings and as i say get people on our board as well who can help shape that proposition um so that that is certainly a part of our planning I mean, obviously, I wouldn't say it's, it's a bad thing because you can never say this. But I think, but we'll have to see what what it materializes too. Because I think the biggest problem with this, when people say uh, promise or, or say speculative things like that, is we don't. It, 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 is it going to be like a small room in a small corner of the military museum where nobody really knows that it's even there, or is is it going to be a proper? um space uh for those things to be um and i would say i think i think it has to be collaboratively led especially with those in the local area what they what they want to see and what they want to contribute i think what you don't want is a complete detachment of the area from where, where the military museum is i think if you said no to all of those things, you miss out on a vital space that you could actually utilize to tell, tell those stories for those that do walk in there. And I think it'd be a positive thing to have that so people understand um, the real history behind the area. But it has to be collaboratively led. I think that that's my main thought on it. I think as long as you know you have a table and you have representatives, from the local area um, and have real conversations around it. Um, you, you can do this in the right way, but if you don't, I think there's a, there's a chance that it's just performative actions and it doesn't really mean anything to anyone. So before we wrap up the podcast, we're going to discuss the financial viability of the museum. And we have some participants who are of the opinion that this museum will not be able to sustain itself. And we'll also hear from Mr. Simmons about what he has to say to these particular claims. The other big issue is it's financially unstable as well. I think, I think in the projections they expect the council to pay um, to help sustain it because they wouldn't get as much revenue from people walking in those. So it makes no financial sense. It's destroying green space. There was a real lack of uh, conversation engagement about what this actually means for the community. Um, the second objection is um, about the council's finances, um, because I have not seen anything that convinces me that this is a viable um, commercial proposition. 
um, and indeed they admit themselves they are struggling to find um, the funds they need to um, to build it according to their plans. I mean, they're now talking about something which could be a thirty million pound development, and their their finances are nowhere uh, capable of doing that. Um, and then on top of that, they would need to find the money to keep it running. Um, and the attendance figures they, they would need to achieve to that, that their, their projections are uh, higher than those that go to TechnoQuest. And I just cannot see a museum with a much narrower focus around military medicine, even with this uh, ultra modern deep space environment and so on, they're proposing attracting those numbers. So that then creates a financial risk because um, you then have a building which may, may be half built. It may uh, it may be built, but has to close after a few years. And like the Doctor Who uh, experience did, which and that all of that cost the council a million pounds because uh, um, of their involvement in that. So there's a risk to council finances. When the same question was put to. Mr. Simmons, this is what he had to say about the museum, its financial plan, and the capacity that it has to generate profit. Um, yes, okay, so I, I sort of understand that concern, but I also know where they've come from as well. In April last year, uh, in correspondence with the uh, National Health Trust in, in Cardiff, Cardiff and Vale Health Trust, I did make a statement, or uh, made a comment that, uh, you know, the, the business plan wouldn't stand up. But again, that's been taken out of context. The context that was meant was within, we were a month into COVID at that particular time. And you're quite right. If we were in the middle of the pandemic, the, the situation obviously wouldn't have been able to carry on because we're looking at um, different activities that require people going into the museum. But uh, every organization will have been reviewing its business plans and looking at its figures during the COVID pandemic. So that statement has been taken right out of context. The context of it is, is the lockdown that was taking place. Um, and obviously now we're seeing that everything's opening up again. And certainly by the time we're looking at uh, opening in, in Cardiff Bay, then we're sort of fully expecting that uh, things will be back open again. Um, at that time. And in fact, we have been revisiting our business plan over the past few months anyway, um, to build in contingencies for things like this to, to make sure. Um, uh, it's probably worth mentioning that we're not wholly or looking at being wholly dependent on visitors anyway. There are other revenue streams that we're developing um, that will bring in revenue, uh, you know, to be able to support the museum in case something like this happens again anyway. And also by having other organisations like the NHS in as part of the building as well that helps support the the overall revenue generation of the building to be able to sustain it so in the final part of this podcast the last few minutes we're going to look at the Butown history and art center this podcast is mainly about space the acceptance of space and the politics surrounding space and it's key i feel not to view this military medical museum in a vacuum and to in fact actually compare it to similar spaces that may have had what some believe to be a similar purpose. So we'll look at the Butown History and Art Center, gauge what people thought about it, what's the story behind it, how did it shut down in 2016, and if people want to bring it back. And we'll compare this or ask some people to compare it to the Military Medical Museum as well. What are your general thoughts on the Butown History and Art Center that closed down in 2016? I don't have general thoughts. I have very specific thoughts about Bhutan's in our centre. And it closed for two main reasons. One was poor management by the founder who would not listen, stick to any rules. And the second was that it was constantly trying to find the money to keep the building going and that building drained all the money it had. So there's a question for me about the fact that its value was never recognized, so it was never granted core funding. And I think Glenn Jordan, who founded and was the director of the, um, of the center, just got ground down and so lost interest completely in the history of it um, and everything. Um, that was happening was to do with, with was to do with art, and it took every penny. Um, it just sucked money up. So it was two things. 
it was the lack of core funding and it was mismanagement. That's my clear view. And could you just briefly describe to us what sorts of items that they had in the museum? Which museum? Do you mean Butan History and Arts Centre? Yeah, sorry, the, yeah, the Butan History and Arts Centre. Okay, just to put that into context, I was the chair when it closed and I saved all the contents of Butan History and Arts Centre. So I was not particularly interested in the artwork. So the arts work all went to Cardiff Museum. But all the oral history tapes, the Siemens um, pass books, discharge books, all the newsletters, all the old photographs, we saved them. And I established a new organization called the Heritage and Cultural Exchange. So we now have their collection, which consists about for just under 5,000 photographs dating back to Victorian times. We have uh, hours and hours of oral history taken from people who were in their 80s and 90s in the 1980s. So stretching back a long period of history. And we've recently had them digitized and uh, we're making summaries so that they become, they can become accessible to researchers and importantly to the families of the people who recorded and so we're using all that archive all that collection to help inform the rest of Wales about the contribution the people from Tiger Bay made to the wealth and development of Cardiff and also into developing um, information uh, and um, teachers aids etc for, for schools so that it becomes part of the curriculum in Wales. So that was Gaina Legal, and she just gave us a bit of detail about what really happened to the Butown History and Arts Centre and what was within the museum, how people interacted with it, and some of the reasons for its failure. And whether or not such a museum will come up again is a question that remains to be answered in the foreseeable future. And until then, we, we might as well compare the Military Medical Museum to the Butown History and Arts Centre and see, based on what we've seen about the museums, what they stand for, what they're supposed to house within them, how different people will react. So I decided to ask participants whether or not they think that the Butown History and Arts Centre, if it was still standing, whether or not it would serve the community's interests better than the Military Medical Museum. And here are some of the answers that we received. Yeah, I mean, I think that that was, you know, um, I think that was that 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 had a large archive of interviews and stories from residents in the old Tiger Bay, uh, and it was for them. Uh, uh, and says it's um, uh, to tell their story and and how how they how they. Um, and grandfathers and people that settled from years ago, from generations ago, um, has a lot of uh, um, stories of them and what they've con what what they've done. Um, and the idea was to you know create a place where communities could share stories, activity, and ex experiences with other members, especially of the city, and educate them. And the scheme, you know, was all about telling and educating those that are not aware of the huge um, history, especially of, of that area. And I think you can see, you can see what the huge problem is, especially when all that is gone. Where, 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 where does all those recordings of those stories, those um, archives go? Um, I think if, if there was an opportunity for someone to set that up, there'd be huge support for it, um, especially um, it will be a, a co-led process where um, it's recognizing their 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 background, their stories, uh, and and their community rather than something they don't actually want or relate to. Oh, and, and undoubtedly, yes. I mean, it has clearly has a direct relationship to the um, the experience of the community, and and indeed that was its. Uh, 
the, the reason for its existence and, and, and for what it contributed. Um, so yes, no, there's no, there's no question about that. Um, but uh, it's it's all an issue of uh, how that how that could be achieved. My understanding is that um, it it closed in its existing um, location through. Uh, uh, a, a lack of funding and um, some issues maybe with the uh, with, with the space they've been offered and so on but again I could give you exact details on that, on that. Yeah. I think that space to be the history that centre played a huge part uh, in the community and captured the stories the history of many of the different significant people and their families who lived in the area I think more should have done to help save that space it really did add huge value uh, to the community uh, and enjoy the reshape um, the narrative around Butown because it, it, a lot of it was really negative so deflecting some of that stuff back off us um, and really helping uh, you know the community get by um, so yeah I think that institution yeah, if around now they would be knocking on those doors saying no you can't do this on my watch <laughs> and in fact You'll probably find that the people campaigning to have uh, to bring that museum back, the Blood the Beautiful History of Arts, uh, because they did so much more for the history of the area than this group you know, has done just by connecting with the right people. And that is going to wrap it up for our podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to it, and we'll just do a bit of reflection on what we heard from some of the participants and some conclusions that we were able to draw. What we do know between some actors within Cardiff Bay and just around Cardiff City, there is disagreement about whether or not this museum should even exist. And they have drawn on their networks, their community networks from people who live around Britannia Park, who live in Cardiff Bay, and they've drawn on their opinions as well. So this gives us significant insight into what the community genuinely thinks about the museum, the role that it has to play, etc. And the goal of this podcast is not to just bring together people's opinions and to see what people think about the museum but it's to explore the nuances in the different opinions that you have on the museum for example people who are more focused on the green space other people who are more focused on the imperialistic elements if there is an imperialistic element to the museum some are more focused on the financial element and just the the topic of land usage in the bay and how that's impacted the community in the last 30 years or so so there's different reasons for why people reach their conclusions, and I think that's really interesting to explore. But again, this podcast is meant to bring up conversations within the community, and perhaps this will spark a new wave of conversation about whether or not this museum should be in the Bay Area, or if it's a question of moving the museum, or perhaps not having one at all. So once again, please do share the podcast and let me know what you think about the matter especially if you're from the area we'd love to hear what you have to say about the military medical museum or even the butetown history and art center and before we close i'd just like to thank the art law network for sponsoring this project and specifically lucy finch and maddock from the art law network for assisting us throughout this project and also the team of researchers that helped me produce this and supervise this entire project that included jeremy pilcher Swasti Ranjan and Muthia Rahman. Major, major thank you. And with that, I'd like to close the podcast. Thank you once again for listening.